USQ Steam in Action, a podcast series designed to challenge the way you view Steam, encourage you to reimagine this integrated approach to your classroom, and inspire you to enhance your students' 21st century learning skills. A series of stories from educators for educators. Sometimes communication seems to be the poor cousin of 21st century learning skills. Not as hot or as topical as creativity and critical thinking, and perhaps not as much fun and good energy as collaboration. It is also something that we do all the time, which doesn't necessarily equate to quality or one right way. In fact, cross-culturally and in different contexts, there are numerous ways to communicate knowledge and understanding in ways that are valuable and should be valued, particularly when positioned next to traditional Western ways of viewing our world and experiences. I'm Ange Fitzgerald, Associate Professor in Science Curriculum and Pedagogy in Teacher Education and enthusiastic member of the STEM education team at USQ. And it is lovely to have you with us as part of the USQ STEAM in Action podcast series. This discussion promises to stretch our understandings of how STEAM science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths um, based knowledges are communicated in different contexts and cultures. Excitingly, sitting right beside me, I have Dwayne Hamaka, who is a senior research fellow at Monash and an adjunct here at USQ. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here, Dwayne. I recently read a bio about your research into Indigenous Australian astronomical and geological traditions and knowledge. Quite the tongue twister. I'm totally fascinated and absolutely in. Why don't you tell us a bit more about what you do? Fantastic. I, I've got a very rare opportunity to work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait communities across the country. I sit and learn from the elders about their star knowledge, and sometimes their sort of geological knowledge, how that connects together. It's an amazing opportunity to explore some ways about how different cultures see the sky, how they conceptualize different kinds of astronomical phenomena, and how, in their words, they read the stars. And there's a humongous scientific layer of knowledge behind all of that that generally isn't recognized. And as a scientist myself, that's the area that I'm most fascinated with. But getting the opportunity to sit with these elders and have them explain this, and then show me how they communicate that knowledge that gets passed down for thousands and thousands of years without degrading is an honor and a privilege, and it's fascinating. I completely agree. That's really very fortunate work you get to be involved in and I guess to be able to hear those stories and be part of the process of the storytelling, I guess, Dwayne, is really very special. How How is knowledge communicated? I think that's, I'm really interested to hear what you're learning from your experiences and time with um, traditional folks sharing their stories. It's really fascinating. I mean, obviously as, as an American, this is very new to me, and it certainly was when I came in, still is, it's a constant learning process. But the elders are fantastic at showing me how a simple song, or what seems like a simple song, can have huge layers of, of knowledge encoded in within it. Some of that is cultural knowledge, it's, it's law and practices, but there's also a lot of science. So songs and dances, uh, the stories and the narratives, and I, this is one area in particular where I think it's really unfortunate because a lot of people today, non-Indigenous people think, oh, they're just myths and legends, like fairy tales. It's like, well, no. 
if you've got a huge body of knowledge that you want to pass on to successive generations and you don't want it to degrade, you don't want people to have to list or memorize long lists of, you know, words and facts. It's boring as anything. Poor science students get hit with that all the time, which is why what you're doing is fantastic. That's new ways of doing it. But they encode these things in stories, memorable stories with, you know, superhuman feats of strength and gods morphing into animals and things you're going to remember. But also these descriptions about how the process works, the story, the narrative encodes all the scientific knowledge in there. So when the elders are sitting and explaining this to me and every time I sit with them, they get deeper and deeper into the knowledge. The first couple of times I think, oh, this is really neat. There's a little bit of stuff here. They kind of smile at me like, you have no idea what you're getting into. And then every time I go back and sit with them, they reveal more and more knowledge that's deeper and more and more complex. And, you know, what I thought would be, well, I didn't really know what kind of project it was going to be, but I didn't know how long it was going to take. But after the first couple of meetings, I thought, okay, there's, there's quite a bit of stuff here, but I can work with this. Now it's like an avalanche. And they still haven't even come close to giving me the upper levels of knowledge. Can you um, share an example of um, maybe a story or something that starts to illustrate what you're um, learning and experiencing through these discussions and stories? Absolutely. So one of the main areas that I work is on Murray Island, the Torres Strait, Mare. Everybody would know this is the home of Eddie Mabo. <laughs> When I go up there and learn from the elders, initially when I sat down and said I wanted to learn about astronomical knowledge, they're like, oh, I don't know too much about that. And then I sort of rephrased it in the terms of star knowledge. And some of the elders who initially said they didn't know too much about that, after weeks and hours of interviews and notebooks filled with knowledge, it was, it was a huge quantity of knowledge they did know. So one of the things they taught me, for example, is a song called Huerna Skystreda. Where is a Miriam Mir, that's the language they speak there. Uh, it's a word for a star. And Skystreda basically means twinkling. So one of the uncles sat down with me, Uncle Alotapo, one of the senior elders in the island. And he starts singing the song. And it's a very upbeat song. It was written by a Miriam man back in, I think, the 1960s named George Passy. And everybody on this island knows the song. The elders, the children, everybody knows it. And the song talks about how at a certain time of the year, it's very calm outside. There's not a breath of air. The islanders call it the doldrum. A little bit later in the year, hot, still, beautiful weather. But you look up at the stars, the ones that are high above, and you notice them starting to twinkle very rapidly. And if you know how to read the ways they twinkle, then it tells you that the shifting trade winds from the dry Sagar season are going to shift to the wet monsoon season of the cookie. So the song tells you about how you look up at the stars, you see them twinkling like embers in a fire. It tells you that the big wind, the Awag, is going to be shifting. It's going to be bringing rain clouds. And then you know to plant some gardens, you know, to, you know, prepare for the wet season where food is a little bit less abundant. I mean, that's not the case nowadays with the grocery store on the island, but a lot of people still um, garden, they still hunt and fish. So knowing how to read the twinkling stars can tell you how to predict weather and seasonal change. And that's all encoded in this song. 
It's amazing. That is, I can just kind of picture that moment and that's just such a rich example, Duane, of what um, is possible through communication if we think about communication quite differently. So I'm really fascinated about how we might help the people listening along to this podcast make sense of the richness of this in their own context. So what could we be doing as classroom teachers to think about communication differently when we're trying to communicate STEAM knowledges or science or technology maths, however we want to compartmentalise or not that, that knowledge. What do you think? I personally think one of the greatest things we can do is engage students. Lecturing at students, as most teachers know, is not the ideal way to go. Listing boring, dry facts is not the way to go. But if we think back about how traditional cultures have done this, for tens of thousands of years, through narrative, through song, through dance, through story, through art. I don't know why so many of us today think that science and art are so separate. Obviously, that's why it's called STEAM. It's, we realize the arts are a fundamental part of that. So by finding ways of incorporating science education and STEM education, but really bringing in the A, the, the arts, the STEAM aspect of it, I think if we engage students on that level and have, have students create mnemonics, have students create stories and songs about this. Um, some colleagues in the States when I used to live there and did my undergrad degree in physics had students develop songs. They had to write their own song to remember the mechanics of how planets moved. And the stuff students came up with was amazing. And it forces them, what well, force them, it encourages them to engage in the material. And it's no longer just memorizing so they can spit it out on a test, get their grade and move on. But they are fascinated by it. They engage with it. They remember it. So I think that's one of the really important ways that we can go about doing science communication in a teaching context anyway. What I really love about what you've just said then is often we think about the arts and STEAM as being the creativity component, whereas actually how you've just reframed that is the arts component is really critical in terms of communication because it actually gives us these multimodal ways to express knowledge that isn't just writing or well it can involve those things and being spoken but it's a bit richer than that it is and one of the things that i did when i was at the university of new south wales i i developed an undergraduate course on aboriginal astronomy and it was in more of a tutorial style class it wasn't a lot of lecturing but what i had the students do as a major assessment was develop an education curriculum so what did the, you know, they could pick a, a year group or an age group and then pick a state, you know, New South Wales, because we were in Sydney. And look at the curriculum. What does a curriculum require? But let's, let's just move beyond doing drive facts. And the students, one half did community in the Torres Strait, the other half did Wardham and Aboriginal. And I told them, I said, create artworks based on what's in the traditions to put in Stellarium. So Stellarium is a free planetarium software program you can have on your phone, tablet, laptop. You can actually develop your own artwork to put in there and put things in language, put knowledge in there. They created this whole planetarium show and curriculum and the activities were, they had crossword puzzles, they had just a whole load of different activities that were fun and engaging. And all those students, even though that was three or four years ago, I'm still in contact with a couple of them. They still remember everything they did because they got to apply it in a fun, engaging, creative, artistic way, as opposed to just memorization and regurgitation of facts. 
You, um, in my mind, sometimes I play um, educational bingo, and what, you just hit one of the key words that is part of that curriculum. And I think sometimes, um, as teachers, we perhaps get a little bit overwhelmed with a range of initiatives, and there's so many fantastic things to engage with. But does it link to curriculum? And so I guess uh, what you're saying there is that you, you and your students were able to find ways that these ideas and these ways of communicating and doing things had connections with curriculum? It was entirely based on the curriculum. That was the foundation. What is required for the curriculum? And what are, because it was really twofold for me. How can I get the students in my course, which was the main focus, to learn and engage this and retain it? so they can apply it to whatever their degree studies. We had students from education, bioengineering, anthropology, indigenous studies, all kinds of different areas. But then for those students to engage, remember that, but also to find new and creative and innovative ways that that knowledge could be taught in schools. And one of the groups in that class, when they handed their project in to me, I sat there kind of gobsmacked. I'm like, this is the most professional thing I've ever seen. They actually had like, one of the students was like graphic design major. So he'd done this amazing thing. I'm looking through this. I'm like, this is something I could just hand this into the state, you know, uh, curriculum committee. And this would go through right away. It was phenomenal. But those multiple layers about how to, how to learn it for the students, but then also how to engage students in the curriculum. So it was really fantastic the work they did out of that. That's so rich. That just sounds really powerful and really interesting. And I love the way you're talking about we want to move beyond just simple kind of retention to that more in-depth kind of ingrained, like I've got this and I know it in meaningful ways, not just in a regurgitation sense. So I think that's, you know, what we would all be wanting to achieve as teachers. Just as um, we kind of get to the wind up, Dwayne, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about your work in Indigenous communities and how that might connect to the work in STEAM because I think, you know, in the Australian curriculum, it's obviously Indigenous um, understandings and knowledge is an overarching, cross-cutting kind of theme, but I think there's still a reluctance, not a reluctance, but just people don't want to do the wrong thing and don't want to be... Um, disrespectful in any way or to misrepresent Indigenous understandings, particularly when we start to think about sciences and technologies and maths and art as well. So I'd love to hear a bit more from you and your experiences about how, as teachers, we might be able to connect in, in ways or be thinking about that and feel more comfortable in, in achieving um, connections with Indigenous ways of seeing the world. There are, the critical thing is to build a rapport with local community, wherever you happen to be. Um, and that can pose various challenges of different kinds. But what I found in my experience is most communities are happy to share knowledge. Um, they understand what you're trying to do. And they, you know, we are, we're all aware there's secret, sacred knowledge and there's men's business, women's business. There's all these restrictions on that higher ends of knowledge. But there's a wealth of stuff what in the Aboriginal culture might be the lower end of knowledge, it's still quite a bit that we can utilize and learn from. So when we engage with the communities um, and we speak to the elders and the councils, they're very happy in most cases to share knowledge. And if you work and collaborate with them and have them as part of the team, part of the project, that's going to go a lot further than just trying to go in, get permission, write a couple stories down and then take off. If they're integrated and part of that, it really helps. Getting elders to come into the school and talk about some of the traditions, for example, is a really, really useful thing. And some of the schools on the island 
And some of the aunties are in the classes all day with the teachers. So those are ways we can engage, um, but also getting, getting the communities involved in some outside activities like um, going to the Observatory of Planetarium and sharing this knowledge, what, what Martin Nakata calls the cultural interface of Western science and indigenous knowledge. There's some great things that can be done there, great innovations at those crossroads. Dwayne, thank you. You've just really put that in a perspective where I feel like I could achieve that. That's, you know, really something I could go out and do today and, and do that and start to be integrating Indigenous knowledge in a meaningful way into my classroom. But also an additional thank you. I think you've just elevated communication from the poor cousin to my net, my new favourite, really, because I think that by opening up STEAM as a way of thinking about things and thinking about the role of arts in particular as a communication tool, then that's really fun. I like that. There's ways that we can really engage our students, whether they're in prep right up to year 12 in meaningful ways that are going to bring knowledge and understanding to life and be relevant so thanks for your time and thanks for your great insights oh thank you for having me here no worries feeling inspired by the usq steam in action podcast why not join us in term four for the steam in practice workshops these online sessions will build on the podcast by providing you with a range of interactive experiences and practice tools so you can use steam as a vehicle for integrating 21st century learning skills in meaningful and authentic ways in your primary or secondary classroom visit usq.edu.au forward slash educational dash engagement for more information a project of USQ Springfield.